chapter twenty of my bondage and my freedom by frederick douglas this librivox recording is in the public domain apprenticeship life nothing lost by the attempt to run away comrades in their old homes reasons for sending author away return to baltimore contrast between tommy and that of his colored companion trials in gardner's shipyard desperate fight its causes conflict between white and black labor description of the outrage colored testimony nothing conduct of master hugh spirit of slavery in baltimore author's condition improves new associations slaveholder's right to take his wages how to make a contented slave well dear reader i am not as you may have already inferred a loser by the general upstir described in the foregoing chapter the little domestic revolution notwithstanding the sudden snub it got by the treachery of somebody i dare not say or think who did not after all end so disastrously as when in the iron cage at easton i conceived it would the prospect from that point did look about as dark as any that ever cast its gloom over the vision of the anxious outlooking human spirit all is well that ends well my affectionate comrades henry and john harris are still with mr william freeland charles roberts and henry bailey are safe at their homes i have not therefore anything to regret on their account their masters have mercifully forgiven them probably on the ground suggested in the spirited little speech of mrs freeland made to me just before leaving for the jail namely that they had been allured into the wicked scheme of making their escape by me and that but for me they would never have dreamed of a thing so shocking my friends had nothing to regret either for while they were watched more closely on account of what had happened they were doubtless treated more kindly than before and got new assurances that they would be legally emancipated some day provided their behaviour should make them deserving from that time forward not a blow as i learned was struck any one of them as for master william freeland good unsuspecting soul he did not believe that we were intending to run away at all having given as he thought no occasion to his boys to leave him he could not think it probable that they had entertained a design so grievous this however was not the view taken of the matter by mass billy as we used to call the soft-spoken but crafty and resolute mr william hamilton he had no doubt that the crime had been meditated and regarding me as the instigator of it he frankly told master thomas that he must remove me from that neighbourhood or he would shoot me down he would not have one so dangerous as frederick tampering with his slaves william hamilton was not a man whose threat might be safely disregarded i have no doubt that he would have proved as good as his word had the warning given not been promptly taken he was furious at the thought of such a piece of high-handed theft as we were about to perpetrate the stealing of our own bodies and souls the feasibility of the plan too could the first steps have been taken was marvellously plain besides this was a new idea this use of the bay slaves escaping until now had taken to the woods they had never dreamed of profaning and abusing the waters of the noble chesapeake by making them the highway from slavery to freedom 
here was a broad road of destruction to slavery which before had been looked upon as a wall of security by slaveholders but master billy could not get mr freeland to see matters precisely as he did nor could he get master thomas so excited as he was himself the latter i must say it to his credit showed much humane feeling in his part of the transaction and atoned for much that had been harsh cruel and unreasonable in his former treatment of me and others his clemency was quite unusual and unlooked for cousin tom told me that while i was in jail master thomas was very unhappy and that the night before his going up to release me he had walked the floor nearly all night evincing great distress that very tempting offers had been made to him by the negro traders but he had rejected them all saying that money could not tempt him to sell me to the far south all this i can easily believe for he seemed quite reluctant to send me away at all he told me that he only consented to do so because of the very strong prejudice against me in the neighbourhood and that he feared for my safety if i remained there thus after three years spent in the country roughing it in the field and experiencing all sorts of hardships i was again permitted to return to baltimore the very place of all others short of a free state where i most desired to live the three years spent in the country had made some difference in me and in the household of master hugh little tommy was no longer little tommy and i was not the slender lad who had left for the eastern shore just three years before the loving relations between me and mass tommy were broken up he was no longer dependent on me for protection but felt himself a man with other and more suitable associates in childhood he scarcely considered me inferior to himself certainly as good as any other boy with whom he played but the time had come when his friend must become his slave so we were cold and we parted it was a sad thing to me that loving each other as we had done we must now take different roads to him a thousand avenues were open education had made him acquainted with all the treasures of the world and liberty had flung open the gates thereunto but i who had attended him seven years and had watched over him with the care of a big brother fighting his battles in the street and shielding him from harm to an extent which had induced his mother to say oh tommy is always safe when he is with freddy must be confined to a single condition he could grow and become a man i could grow though i could not become a man but must remain all my life a minor a mere boy thomas all junior obtained a situation on board the brig tweed and went to sea i know not what has become of him he certainly has my good wishes for his welfare and prosperity there were few persons to whom i was more sincerely attached than to him and there are few in the world i would be more pleased to meet very soon after i went to baltimore to live master hugh succeeded in getting me hired to mr william gardiner an extensive shipbuilder on fells point i was placed here to learn to caulk a trade of which i already had some knowledge gained while in mr hugh alt's shipyard when he was a master builder gardiner's however proved a very unfavourable place for the accomplishment of that object mr gardiner was that season engaged in building two large man-of-war vessels professedly for the mexican government these vessels were to be launched in the month of july of that year and in failure thereof mr g would forfeit a very considerable sum of money so when i entered the shipyard all was hurry and driving there were in the yard about one hundred men 
of these about seventy or eighty were regular carpenters privileged men speaking of my condition here i wrote years ago and i have now no reason to vary the picture as follows there was no time to learn anything every man had to do that which he knew how to do in entering the shipyard my orders from mr gardiner were to do whatever the carpenters commanded me to do this was placing me at the beck and call of about seventy-five men i was to regard all these as masters their word was to be my law my situation was a most trying one at times i needed a dozen pair of hands i was called a dozen ways in the space of a single minute three or four voices would strike my ear at the same moment it was fred come help me to cant this timber here fred come carry this timber yonder fred bring that roller here fred go get a fresh can of water fred come help saw off the end of this timber fred go quick and get the crowbar fred hold on to the end of this fall fred go to the blacksmith's shop and get a new punch hurrah fred run and bring me a cold chisel i say fred bear a hand and get up a fire as quick as lightning under that steam-box halloo nigger come turn this grindstone come come move move and browse this timber forward i say darky blast your eyes why don't you heat up some pitch halloo 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 three voices at the same time come here go there hold on where you are damn you if you move i'll knock your brains out such dear reader is a glance at the school which was mine during the first eight months of my stay at baltimore at the end of eight months master hugh refused longer to allow me to remain with mr gardiner the circumstance which led to his taking me away was a brutal outrage committed upon me by the white apprentices of the shipyard the fight was a desperate one and i came out of it most shockingly mangled i was cut and bruised in sundry places and my left eye was nearly knocked out of its socket the facts leading to this barbarous outrage upon me illustrate a phase of slavery destined to become an important element in the overthrow of the slave system and i may therefore state them with some minuteness that phase is this the conflict of slavery with the interests of the white mechanics and laborers of the south in the country this conflict is not so apparent but in cities such as baltimore richmond new orleans mobile etc it is seen pretty clearly the slaveholders with a craftiness peculiar to themselves by encouraging the enmity of the poor laboring white man against the blacks succeeds in making the said white man almost as much a slave as the black slave himself the difference between the white slave and the black slave is this the latter belongs to one slaveholder and the former belongs to all the slaveholders collectively the white slave has taken from him by indirection what the black slave has taken from him directly and without ceremony both are plundered and by the same plunderers the slave is robbed by his master of all his earnings above what is required for his bare physical necessities and the white man is robbed by the slave system of the just results of his labor because he is flung into competition with a class of laborers who work without wages the competition and its injurious consequences will one day array the non-slaveholding white people of the slave states against the slave system and make them the most effective workers against the great evil at present the slaveholders blind them to this competition by keeping alive their prejudice against the slaves as men not against them as slaves they appeal to their pride often denouncing emancipation as tending to place the white working man on an equality with negroes and by this means they succeed in drawing off the minds of the poor whites from the real fact that by the rich slave master they are already regarded as but a single remove from equality with the slave the impression is cunningly made that slavery is the only power that can prevent 
the laboring white man from falling to the level of the slave's poverty and degradation to make this enmity deep and broad between the slave and the poor white man the latter is allowed to abuse and whip the former without hindrance but as i have suggested this state of facts prevails mostly in the country in the city of baltimore there are not unfrequent murmurs that educating the slaves to be mechanics may in the end give slave masters power to dispense with the services of the poor white man altogether but with characteristic dread of offending the slaveholders these poor white mechanics in mr gardiner's shipyard instead of applying the natural honest remedy for the apprehended evil and objecting at once to work there by the side of slaves made a cowardly attack upon the free colored mechanics saying they were eating the bread which should be eaten by american freemen and swearing that they would not work with them the feeling was really against having their labor brought into competition with that of the colored people at all but it was too much to strike directly at the interest of the slaveholders and therefore proving their servility and cowardice they dealt their blows on the poor colored freeman and aimed to prevent him from serving himself in the evening of life with the trade with which he had served his master during the more vigorous portion of his days had they succeeded in driving the black freemen out of the shipyard they would have determined also upon the removal of the black slaves the feeling was very bitter toward all colored people in baltimore about this time eighteen thirty six and they free and slave suffered all manner of insult and wrong until a very little while before i went there white and black ship carpenters worked side by side in the shipyards of mr gardiner mr duncan mr walter price and mr robb nobody seemed to see any impropriety in it to outward seeming all hands were well satisfied some of the blacks were first-rate workmen and were given jobs requiring the highest skill all at once however the white carpenters knocked off and swore that they would no longer work on the same stage with free negroes taking advantage of the heavy contract resting upon mr gardiner to have the war vessels for mexico ready to launch in july and of the difficulty of getting other hands at that season of the year they swore they would not strike another blow for him unless he would discharge his free colored workmen now although this movement did not extend to me in form it did reach me in fact the spirit which it awakened was one of malice and bitterness toward colored people generally and i suffered with the rest and suffered severely my fellow-apprentices very soon began to feel it to be degrading to work with me they began to put on high looks and to talk contemptuously and maliciously of the niggers saying that they would take the country that they ought to be killed encouraged by the cowardly workmen who knowing me to be a slave made no issue with mr gardiner about my being there these young men did their utmost to make it impossible for me to stay they seldom called me to do anything without coupling the call with a curse and edward north the biggest in everything rascality included ventured to strike me whereupon i picked him up and threw him into the dock whenever any of them struck me i struck back again regardless of consequences i could manage any of them singly and while i could keep them from combining i succeeded very well in the conflict which ended my stay at mr gardiner's i was beset by four of them at once ned north ned hayes bill stewart and tom humphreys two of them were as large as myself and they came near killing me in broad daylight the attack was made suddenly and simultaneously one came in front armed with a brick there was one at each side and one behind and they closed up around me 
i was struck on all sides and while i was attending to those in front i received a blow on my head from behind dealt with a heavy hand spike i was completely stunned by the blow and fell heavily on the ground among the timbers taking advantage of my fall they rushed upon me and began to pound me with their fists i let them lay on for a while after i came to myself with a view of gaining strength they did me little damage so far but finally getting tired of that sport i gave a sudden surge and despite their weight i rose to my hands and knees just as i did this one of their number i know not which planted a blow with his boot in my left eye which for a time seemed to have burst my eyeball when they saw my eye completely closed my face covered with blood and i staggering under the stunning blows they had given me they left me as soon as i gathered sufficient strength i picked up the handspike and madly enough attempted to pursue them but here the carpenters interfered and compelled me to give up my frenzied pursuit it was impossible to stand against so many dear reader you can hardly believe the statement but it is true and therefore i write it down not fewer than fifty white men stood by and saw this brutal and shameless outrage committed and not a man of them all interposed a single word of mercy there were four against one and that one's face was beaten and battered most horribly and no one said that is enough but some cried out kill him kill him kill the damned nigger knock his brains out he struck a white person i mention this inhuman outcry to show the character of the men and the spirit of the times at gardiner's shipyard and indeed in baltimore generally in eighteen thirty six as i look back to this period i am almost amazed that i was not murdered outright in that shipyard so murderous was the spirit which prevailed there on two occasions while there i came near losing my life i was driving bolts in the hole through the keelson with hayes in its course the bolt bent hayes cursed me and said that it was my blow which bent the bolt i denied this and charged it upon him in a fit of rage he seized an adze and darted toward me i met him with a maul and parried his blow or i should have then lost my life a son of old tom landman the latter's double murder i have elsewhere charged upon him in the spirit of his miserable father made an assault upon me but the blow with his maul missed me after the united assault of north stuart hayes and humphreys finding that the carpenters were as bitter toward me as the apprentices and that the latter were probably set on by the former i found my only chance for life was in flight i succeeded in getting away without an additional blow to strike a white man was death by lynch law in gardiner's shipyard nor was there much of any other law toward colored people at that time in any other part of maryland the whole sentiment of baltimore was murderous after making my escape from the shipyard i went straight home and related the story of the outrage to master hugh auld and it is due to him to say that his conduct though he was not a religious man was every way more humane than that of his brother thomas when i went to the latter in a somewhat similar plight from the hands of brother edward covey he listened attentively to my narration of the circumstances leading to the ruffianly outrage and gave many proofs of his strong indignation at what was done hugh was a rough but manly-hearted fellow and at this time his best nature showed itself the heart of my once almost overkind mistress sophia was again melted in pity toward me my puffed-out eye and my scarred and blood-covered face moved the dear lady to tears she kindly drew a chair by me and with friendly consoling words she took water and washed the blood from my face no mother's hand could have been more tender than hers she bound up my head and covered my wounded eye with a lean piece of fresh beef 
it was almost compensation for the murderous assault and my suffering that it furnished an occasion for the manifestation once more of the originally characteristic kindness of my mistress her affectionate heart was not yet dead though much hardened by time and by circumstances as for master hugh's part as i have said he was furious about it and he gave expression to his fury in the usual forms of speech in that locality he poured curses on the heads of the whole shipyard company and swore that he would have satisfaction for the outrage his indignation was really strong and healthy but unfortunately it resulted from the thought that his rights of property in my person had not been respected more than from any sense of the outrage committed on me as a man i inferred as much as this from the fact that he could himself beat and mangle when it suited him to do so bent on having satisfaction as he said just as soon as i got a little the better of my bruises master hugh took me to esquire watson's office on bond street fells point with a view to procuring the arrest of those who had assaulted me he related the outrage to the magistrate as i had related it to him and seemed to expect that a warrant would at once be issued for the arrest of the lawless ruffians mr watson heard it all and instead of drawing up his warrant he inquired mr ald who saw this assault of which you speak it was done sir in the presence of a shipyard full of hands sir said watson i am sorry but i cannot move in this matter except upon the oath of white witnesses but here's the boy look at his head and face said the excited master hugh they show what has been done but watson insisted that he was not authorized to do anything unless white witnesses of the transaction would come forward and testify to what had taken place he could issue no warrant on my word against white persons and if i had been killed in the presence of a thousand blacks their testimony combined would have been insufficient to arrest a single murderer master hugh for once was compelled to say that this state of things was too bad and he left the office of the magistrate disgusted of course it was impossible to get any white man to testify against my assailants the carpenters saw what was done but the actors were but the agents of their malice and did only what the carpenters sanctioned they had cried with one accord kill the nigger kill the nigger even those who may have pitied me if any such were among them lacked the moral courage to come and volunteer their evidence the slightest manifestation of sympathy or justice toward a person of colour was denounced as abolitionism and the name of abolitionist subjected its bearer to frightful liabilities damn abolitionists and kill the niggers were the watchwords of the foul-mouthed ruffians of those days nothing was done and probably there would not have been anything done had i been killed in the affray the laws and the morals of the christian city of baltimore afforded no protection to the sable denizens of that city master hugh on finding he could get no redress for the cruel wrong withdrew me from the employment of mr gardiner and took me into his own family mrs all kindly taking care of me and dressing my wounds until they were healed and i was ready to go again to work while i was on the eastern shore master hugh had met with reverses which overthrew his business and he had given up shipbuilding in his own yard on the city block and was now acting as foreman of mr walter price the best he could now do for me was to take me into mr price's yard and afford me the facilities there for completing the trade which i had begun to learn at gardiner's here i rapidly became expert in the use of my caulking tools and in the course of a single year i was able to command the highest wages paid to journeymen caulkers in baltimore the reader will observe that i was now of some pecuniary value to my master during the busy season i was bringing six and seven dollars per week 
i have sometimes brought him as much as nine dollars a week for the wages were a dollar and a half per day after learning to caulk i sought my own employment made my own contracts and collected my own earnings giving master hugh no trouble in any part of the transactions to which i was a party here then were better days for the eastern shore slave i was now free from the vexatious assaults of the apprentices at mr gardiner's and free from the perils of plantation life and once more in a favourable condition to increase my little stock of education which had been at a dead stand since my removal from baltimore i had on the eastern shore been only a teacher when in company with other slaves but now there were coloured persons who could instruct me many of the young caulkers could read write and cipher some of them had high notions about mental improvement and the free ones on fells point organised what they called the east baltimore mental improvement society to this society notwithstanding it was intended that only free persons should attach themselves i was admitted and was several times assigned a prominent part in its debates i owe much to the society of these young men the reader already knows enough of the ill effects of good treatment on a slave to anticipate what was now the case in my improved condition it was not long before i began to show signs of disquiet with slavery and to look around for means to get out of that condition by the shortest route i was living among freemen and was in all respects equal to them by nature and by attainments why should i be a slave there was no reason why i should be the thrall of any man besides i was now getting as i have said a dollar and fifty cents per day i contracted for it worked for it earned it collected it it was paid to me and it was rightfully my own and yet upon every returning saturday night this money my own hard earnings every cent of it was demanded of me and taken from me by master hugh he did not earn it he had no hand in earning it why then should he have it i owed him nothing he had given me no schooling and i had received from him only my food and raiment and for these my services were supposed to pay from the first the right to take my earnings was the right of the robber he had the power to compel me to give him the fruits of my labour and this power was his only right in the case i became more and more dissatisfied with this state of things and in so becoming i only gave proof of the same human nature which every reader of this chapter in my life slaveholder or non-slaveholder is conscious of possessing to make a contented slave you must make a thoughtless one it is necessary to darken his moral and mental vision and as far as possible to annihilate his power of reason he must be able to detect no inconsistencies in slavery the man that takes his earnings must be able to convince him that he has a perfect right to do so it must not depend upon mere force the slave must know no higher law than his master's will the whole relationship must not only demonstrate to his mind its necessity but its absolute rightfulness if there be one crevice through which a single drop can fall it will certainly rust off the slave's chain End of chapter twenty